the Pediatric Lounge, a podcast taking you behind the door of the Physician's Lounge to get a deeper insight into just what docs are talking about today. From the clinically profound to the wonderfully routine and everything in between. Well, hello again and welcome once again to the Pediatric Lounge in our second season. This is your co-host, Dr. Herb Bravo, and with us is Dr. George Rogu from Long Island, New York. Today, we have a particularly great guest, Dr. David Epstein, who is a pediatric intensivist, a blogger, and a podcaster. His podcast, called Dr. Dave's Pearls, has just been released and has five episodes on Apple Podcasts. We urge everybody to follow him as he has great advice for parents. So let's go on with our interview. Hey, George. Good to see you again. Hi, how you doing, Herb? It's Tuesday, midday, elevating great physicians once again. Today, I met this Dr. David Epstein. He's from California. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to, nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So, David, we always want to know, why do you become a pediatrician? That's a good question. I remember going through medical school and start doing the, the clinical rotations. And I realized that I didn't like anything. And, and then until I went to pediatrics, that's kind of where the light bulb went off. Well, why, why do you think, or maybe Herb knows his because he was in urgent care business too. Why are organizations such as CityMD or PM Pediatrics, why are they successful? Yeah. Yeah. Those, I mean, I, I mean, they're, they started off as a one-off solo urgent care. Yeah. Well, you know, I think part of it too is, you know, depending on, on, you know, maybe if you have investors and you're able to open up more than one. So once you start to get a critical mass, I know that there was an urgent care company in the, in the area who we were familiar with. And we, we had spoken with them just casually and just kind of getting their insights. And they mentioned that, you know, once they got a critical volume of patients, like, you know, X number, then they can renegotiate contracts. And so, so I think that if you have investors and you have, and you can build out more than one and you start stacking, then then your leverage kind of goes up. And I think with, you know, with CityMD or PM, you know, they have, they have that volume, they have that, that market share where I think that they can negotiate a little bit better than the individual practice, like mom and pop shop, like, like we had. But I, I know for a fact, like the CityMD, I think it had three or four other names beforehand over time. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Premier Care, ProHealth. There's like a lot of names. I think the, the uh, what is it called? The, the venture capitalists keep pumping money into them and selling out and buying and changing the names and changing all the logos and the signs. I mean, it, it's, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get it. This, this, this corporate medicine is, is not good. Yeah, it, it kind of, I think it depersonalizes yes. things. It's very, it's very transactional. And I think one of the things which was at the heart of the article that I, that I wrote was you know, creating a medical, a pediatric practice or pediatric program and creating a community, it's something that's more relational in, in that. And I think that was the kind of thing that spurred our, our discussion a little yeah. bit earlier is that, you know, in the old days, in the old days, it, it, it's, you know, I think things were very, you know, very relational. Of course, there's a business aspect to it, but I think, you know, I think if you want to integrate in the community and be part of the community, 
you have to have a more relational model, not only amongst the pediatricians in the community, but also the, you know, the families that you're, you're taking care of as well. What, what do you think, Herb? Because you worked in the ER and urgent care and the offices. I really haven't seen any private equity or venture capitalist group that really has been successful in managing medical practices. Well, when Cal in California, I think uh, when we were so a 51% owner. Okay. Yeah, that's still true in Virginia, but it's not enforced. I don't know. Walgreens can, is now owner of CityMD and they're going to employ, employ all these physicians. And I never understood, I can't own a pharmacy as a doctor because it's an antitrust violation. But Walgreens and CVS, they can own doctors and nurse practitioners and put them in their shops to prescribe. But there's no conflict of interest there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just... It's, it's good. It's, it's, I think we're evolving a crazy business model right now and it's evolving. Anyhow, I wanted to ask you about is when you're looking, when you're looking at pediatric build out models, right? And then talking about, you know, ICUs, pediatric urgent cares, EDs, sedation services, there are two business models that people follow. One is I am the Mecca, so I'm going to put my name on top of the urgent care and advertise direct to consumer to the mom, and they're going to come see me. And the other one is, uh, I'm an extension of the community pediatrician, so no one can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if your kid's sick on Saturday afternoon, or they seem like they might have a colleague's fracture, it's not cost, doesn't work for you to have an x-ray machine in your office, but I can. So send them over to our shop. We'll take care of them for you and send them back and send you a report and call you if there's anything unusual. Which model did you encounter and like best, not only as an intensivist, but also when you went to build out your own urgent care? Yeah. I was in the ivory tower. In the ICU, you take care of the patients. They come, they go. There's really not a lot of connection with the community from the ICU. When I moved into the urgent care arena, you hang your shingle and you're like, okay, we're open. Come on, let's go. But nobody's showing up because nobody knows you're there. They don't know your reputation. I think as far as growing any practice, whether it's in the hospital or whether it's in the community, I think connecting with people is the way to go, you know, and it's actually more fun. You know, it's, I think that's what I enjoyed about when we were doing the urgent care and I'd have a patient come in and they, you know, it was, you know, a patient with a history of something or other. So they come in and they have issues. And I said, Hey, who's your pediatrician? They say, you know, Dr. So-and-so. And I say, Oh, okay, let me give them a call. I just quick speed dial them on my cell phone, give them a call, say, Hey, you know, we got, you know, your patients here, you know, this is what's going on. I know that you've seen them before. This is kind of what we wanted. We were thinking of doing, you know, you have any recommendations or just including them in the care and, and being collaborative. It was so satisfying. It was so, you know, I just got, it was, it, it really kind of brought the things together and then like, Hey, you're part of the community. We're, we're in this together. You right. know? And that, that was, I think that was the joy that, that it brought me. And, you know, it really created some bonds with the community where, you know, I'm still, you know, friends with the pediatricians in the community now we we interact and things like that i bet you the parent appreciated that yeah oh yeah so this is a generational thing 
of not talking to people because when we see a patient and we, we admit, we send a lot of patients to the hospital for admission and whatnot, there are a lot of patients. I tell all the doctors that we should call the ER as a courtesy to give them a heads up that I have this patient to give them an initial intake of what I think is happening. Yeah. I ask to speak with the physician. The old school guys are all there. They pick up the phone. They, yes, we'll do this. We'll make a little plan. Thank you very much. But the new hires, they say, just tell the secretary what's the name and the birthday. Yeah. yeah. They don't even want to know. Like, really? Yeah. And maybe, yeah. maybe it's a pendulum swing. Maybe it's going to you know, start to shift back as people realize my, my wife's a therapist. And, you know, I hear a lot of these, you know, like, you know, and, and actually she cared for, you know, physicians actually at a hospital. And so she, you know, was the physician support at a hospital and, you know, physicians are, are, are people too. And I think some of the things that are missing is probably some of the humanistic parts, um, that are being washed out and, and causing you know, the burnout and causing the, the moral distress and all these other things. And at the end of the day, I think what it boils down is to human connection and, and possibly maybe the, the pendulum's going to swing, you know, swing the other, you know, the other way and be more relational yeah. instead of transactional. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, even see people that are in the hospital medicine, they do their sign outs text message. That's crazy. Even a yeah. But yeah. they do that. It's it, well, the computers through emails. They don't even call. Yeah. So, so I think I guess that you found out the importance of the relationship with other pediatricians when you're building up the urgent care. Not not only how good that's for business, but for quality and for satisfaction. Yeah. That was that was a lesson you learned in the urgent care. Yeah. It's it's, it's definitely. It's very good for business if you're close to the general pediatricians and you're in the urgent care. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's part of building a community and being part of something. I think what I, what I realize is, you know, in the hospital, you're part of a big organization. There's a lot of chance for engagement with colleagues and people, you know, grand rounds and, and, you know, M&M conferences and, you know, teaching conferences. And so you're always engaging with people, but when you're out on your own, it's just you, you know, and it's not, there's not that kind of collegial engagement on that kind of level. And so one of the things I think is that, you know, as being in that environment myself, it's like, I crave kind of talking to other doctors or talking with my peers and being part of something, you know, bigger and being part of the community. And, and I think that's, you know, something that I sought out, you know, coming away from, you know, the hospital environment, going into the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, for me, the, the, uh, the most fun part was the relationship you had with every physician in this on staff. I, I'm a little biased because I think anybody who start, tries to start a, stand, uh, a standalone urgent care is a little crazy, uh, including myself. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, yeah. But why, why did you... What was the genesis to go from, you know, the protected Mecca to the real world and put your money down where your mouth is and, you know, run this whole organization from, you know, from zero to a hundred? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I'm still asking myself. No, I'm just joking. No, my, my wife and I, so in our community, there, there was a pediatric urgent care and it was run, actually run by 
pediatric intensivist who had come on before I knew her in the community. And for personal reasons, she had to close the urgent care. And, and we'd actually uh, been there ourselves with our kids. And, and when that closed, there was really nothing in our area. You know, you think of LA as being such a big city, but there was really no defined pediatric urgent care in our area, which was one of the impetus for saying, hey, let's, you know, there's a void. We needed it. I'm sure other families needed it too. And so that's what, uh, that was our inspiration. Did we know what we were in for? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We were like, let's just open an office and we'll help the community. We'll have these resources. We'll do this. And it really turned into a much bigger project than we could ever have, ever have dreamed um, or thought of. And so it was kind of a little bit of, uh, you know, just a little bit of naivety on our, our, uh, from our standpoint, because we didn't have any, anything to, to reflect on or to know just because there weren't any in the area. And, you know, we think about it, what we were able to do and, you try to look, you know, hindsight being 2020, would you do it again? Yeah, we made, we made a lot of sacrifices. I think the, there were a lot of demands, you know, on the family time, things that, you know, because you're, you're open seven days a week, you know, 12 hours a day um, at that time. And, you know, there was a significant demand. I mean, somebody calls out sick, you know, it didn't matter if it was a front desk, x-ray tech, nurse, physician. You know, if somebody called out, you know, we stepped in. So it was like, you know, it had, it had to keep running. We, you know, and I think during that whole time, I think we only shut down for one day. Uh, Relationships do good medicine. The money will follow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the urgent care space uh, longevity is short. The, uh, at least on the commercial side, the payers are not happy with the urgent cares. They see them as a unnecessary expense. And are people are going to go to the emergency. Their doctors are not going to see them. Don't you remember during COVID, the lines around the block at the urgent cares in the city MD? It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. And in our community, the pediatricians, I mean, they didn't, they weren't seeing sick visits. And so we were, you know, we were seeing, you know, all those patients. Also, you know, there are a number of things where you think about going to the emergency room, you know, a child. I mean, I'm sure you guys saw it all the time. It's like they have a runny nose, cough, congestion. They really shouldn't be in the emergency room. You know, that's that's a huge expense for the insurance company. Um, also, you know, to see like a, a, you know, a fractured finger, you know, it's like, you know, you just do an x-ray, you put a little, you know, splint on, have them follow up with ortho or, or their pediatrician, whatever, you know, the preference is and, and you're done rather than, you know, right, right now. I think at some of the major hospitals, I'm sure you guys have those kind of numbers too. I mean, the, the wait time to be seen is like hours and hours and hours. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's bananas. So, I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, you know, urgent cares are opening. I know that there's a particular company out here where they're, they're just keep on opening urgent cares, you know, they're just, they're popping up everywhere. So, you know, a lot of, you don't know. A lot of the urgent cares that I've seen in the past, I always wondered about them because you'd walk into them with a huge footprint with marble bathroom tiles. Yeah. And it was really granite countertop. I always wonder how do they 
make money to pay for all that stuff. Yeah. I have to agree with like the Meccas where they have, you know, small footprint, two or three rooms, one doctor doing some stuff and then sending them off to the Mecca if they need anything. Yeah. Well, I know like in, when we were doing some of our research, I mean, like the, I, I know in Seattle, there was one major hospital that actually rented a particular space to an urgent care for like, like peanuts just so they could have the urgent care there. So you could offload, you know, the ER because the ER was getting, you know, these unnecessary visits and things like that, that, you know, they would lose money on. So it actually was, you know, financially better for them to have them seen at an urgent care instead of filling in the ER bed. So, you know, I, I think, I think that there's a place for them, you know, and I think as time goes, it will evolve. But when you look at some of the, the big urgent cares, you know, where they see everybody, you know, kids included, you know, I'm kind of, I, I think that's kind of a little bit hard as a pediatrician because you, you know, we would always hear about some of these, you know, take all urgent cares and, and they're prescribing, you know, crazy regimens for ear infections or saying that there's an ear infection, there's really nothing there. You know, I mean, we hear from pediatricians in the community all the time that, that it's just, it's not as good medicine. You know, and thankfully, you know, for having pediatric focused urgent cares, at least you have people who are, know what they're doing as far as kids go. But you're talking about like these marble, you know, meccas. I mean, the adults coming in, I think the adult reimbursement is much better than pediatric reimbursement. So I think that they have a, you know, step up on that. And so maybe it's, it's easier for them to kind of survive than pediatrics. Yeah. 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 There's no way you can do laceration repairs in a general pediatric practice. Yeah, they usually uh, that, that's, nobody has lacerations anymore. Everybody's with their video game. That's busy. To go for a five-minute train. It's labor-intensive. You know, yeah. it's time-intensive, and you know, you just get so backed up that just it's really hard to do. Unless you got a dedicated sick visit person that you know, basically a, a walk-in clinic within your within yeah. your big umbrella, and then they can do all of these things. Yeah, but it's it's just the flow is very difficult. Um, yeah. And uh, the volume of those heavy in the urgent care is, is a lot less than what you do in the PETA office. Yeah. Um, it's just mild to moderate illness, basically. Yeah. Some injuries, some testing. Not rocket science. Yeah, nothing's rocket science. <laughs> Except for rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> and so ha having gone through this journey, PETA urgent care and with your wife's health, it seems like everything that goes around comes around. And the psychologists will tell you this often, very often. It's like, we're still herd animals. We need to be in touch and close to other, other humans to maintain our sanity. So you discover the importance of the relationships for your own well-being through the urgent care. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and it's funny because when the pandemic hit and, you know, everybody's feeling kind of further isolated because it's like, okay, you know, everything's closed down and, you know, you feel like you're a little man on an island kind of thing. As I think that was the impetus for us, you know, the pediatricians in the community getting together. And I think it really saved us from, you know, like a sanity standpoint because we had each other. And yeah, back to the community. Yeah. You know, 
Did the hospital help in this? No. You know, I think as time went on, as they kind of got themselves together and not, you know, but it takes time, you know, like with, you know, it was funny having your own business. You realize that you're very, you're very agile. You know, you decide like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you did like when we, when we were doing COVID testing, we said, okay, let's just do COVID testing. You know, we'll have them, we'll have the supplies. We'll, we'll test them outside. We'll have people drive through. Boom, bada bing, bada boom. You know, you're done. Send them out. It was easy. I didn't, you know, we didn't have to think about anything. We just did it. I think when hospitals are bigger systems, it takes time to move and they're not as, they're not as agile when it comes to that. And so it took time. But one of the things that was nice was the, uh, the California Medical Association had this thing where they're providing PPE, you know, for a discount. Like, you know, they, they would actually in the beginning it was free. And even, and after that it was discount, they'd send you this big box that had, that had N95s and, and gowns and, you know, gloves. I think it was just, you know, they just sent you PPE or, or, um, and shields and things like that. And it was great, but it took time for the hospitals to kind of organize themselves. It wasn't as, it wasn't as easy. So obviously in the community, you know, we had to, it was like, we were by ourselves, you know, in the beginning. What, three years right now, right? We're in three years into this. Yes. It's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I think there's a, you know, like a silver lining, I think, as we made, you know, obviously it was horrific and, and, you know, would never, never wish this to happen again, or I wish it never happened. But if you're looking at maybe some good things that came out of it is that, you know, we, we built some, some bonds in the community and, and friendships and we worked together and we, you know, we got through this and, and we got through intact, you know, and, and, you know, that in itself is a gift, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Well, was there anything I, I didn't ask you that you think you want to share? No, I, I think, you know, you guys do a great job. I mean, I really kind of think this idea of a, the podcast is great, you know, just to chat and kind of, you know, bring this to the pediatric community. And it's a great idea. So. Help share podcasts with your friends and all your doctor friends and, you know, like it, subscribe it, click it, whatever it, just get yeah. the notes. Yeah. Well, I, I got, I got you on my, I got you on my, my post list. So I, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you so much for taking time off, off your busy schedule to join us today. Uh, oh, uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It was, it was great speaking with you guys and anything in the future, let me know. But this is, this is a pleasurable experience. Thank you so much. Likewise. Likewise. Hopefully we will meet in person someday somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. If I'm ever in DC or, or New York, I'll give you guys a call. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Pediatric Lounge. On the show notes, you will find links to our co-host and other important notes as well as a timetable of the topics discussed today. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a great review as it helps us greatly. In the meantime, we will see you next week, the Pediatric Lounge. The conversations are not intended as medical advice, and the opinions expressed are solely those of the host and the guest. <laughs>